0: The topic is contentment, a gift from trusting God. And I'm just going to start off with a little bit of a preamble. I don't know about your lives, but sometimes things, seeds get planted in the weirdest ways. But a few, about six or seven weeks ago, our daughter Sarah was, she calls, and technology is so cool, we get to talk to her all the time. And her and I were sitting there talking one night. And she was reading the book, The Hiding Place, by Corrie Ten Boom. Ever heard of that? It was really having an impact on this young lady. And I'm sure, like a lot of folks, didn't understand the whole story until she read the book. Didn't understand that Ms. Ten Boom was 50 years old when this happened. It wasn't like the Diary of Anne Frank. we weren't talking a child here. And it was troubling her. And she asked, she said, Dad, why would... The Germans invade little Netherlands and create all this trouble. The Netherlands weren't doing anything to anybody. And I said, well, you can look at most conflicts in the world, and they're kind of like this. And we talked about it for a while. And when the dust settled, we agreed that the human race, in particular, isn't good with contentment. And that's that's where we kind of left that. Well... Um, a few weeks after that, um, I was offered the opportunity to talk to you all tonight. And so we're going to talk about contentment a little bit. And, you know, we, contentment and peace and grace, it all kind of runs in the same circles, right? I always say if you have grace, then you probably have peace and contentment. And if you have contentment, you must have some grace and peace in your life. It kind of all works in the same, same land, if you will. And so as I was putting this together, Several weeks ago, we had Mr. Slaughter come in and talk about peace. And, of course, he always does a fun job, and he's great. And, of course, Mr. Larry Titus talked last just a couple of days ago about peace. So um, we're, we'll talk about contentment, a spin on peace, here a little bit tonight. And so I went out to the dictionary, just a normal standard dictionary, and I looked up what's the definition of contentment. Because if we don't understand what contentment is, or how the world sees contentment, maybe that's the better way of saying it, then we might have some some issues. Because here again, Sarah and I were struggling with the pure fact that the world is so non-content. And her little 25-year-old, lots of wisdom life, she couldn't understand why, if you want to go to Germany, just go visit. Why do you got to take it over and kill everybody, right? And that's a pretty fair, simple discussion. Why do you have to get radical? So, the definition of contentment in the dictionary is a state of happiness and satisfaction wanting no more. Well, I got thinking about that, and man, it's a, we're good at wanting more, whatever it is, okay? That's just how the human race is. And if, to actually be content and not want more is kind of an interesting thing. But I was pretty confident that wasn't what we as Christians should be thinking about as contentment. And so I here again, you know, the good old Google, you could Google Christian contentment definition and several sources use the same definition. So whoever wrote it, it's pretty cool. The Christian definition that I found is the acceptance of, quote, things as they are, unquote, as the wise and loving providence of a God who knows what's good for us, who so loves us as always to seek our good. Basically accepting that God's in control, that he knows what's going on, that the situation as it is, is all under his umbrella. And that's the biblical definition. Now, you know, we can't get all weird because, uh, let's face it, sometimes we go real, take things to extremes. It's not that we don't have to work hard. The Bible's full of verses that tell us to work hard, you know, work as unto the Lord, um, that we're not t- to try to do good or to, if we see a wrong, try to fix other things. We're not trying to not be slothful. Even Jesus himself says if no one, or it says in 2 Thessalonians that if anyone will not work, then they shall not eat. But the idea is that accepting the situation of of whatever as it is. And so I pondered that a while. And I I, I do a lot of pondering. Uh, (laughs) And I wrote down, a believer's contentment is not to be affected by the circumstances, but our contentment should be firmly rooted in the good news of Jesus and what he has already accomplished for us sinners. So I'm going to read some scriptures tonight. I'm trying to uh, look at this from different angles, and it's not all about money. That's probably one of the most trivial things. But I'm going to start off with a foundational scripture of 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. Okay, 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It reads, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Lots of words, but lots of good advice in there. Um, I think I want to start with this one because coming at it from an eternal perspective about what Jesus would tell us about um, contentment helps us as believers avoid the allure of greed. You know, there's just all kinds of um people wanting us to be greedy and want things that we don't need. With the result that we are content with what God has given us. I believe that any of us born in the United States of America, and in particular those of us born anywhere in Iowa, we're, we're, we're pretty blessed. Ninety percent of the world can't even imagine our worst day. They wouldn't have a clue what that even looks like. Because they have nothing on their best day to compare to our worst day. And so the idea that we chase around all this stuff is just kind of crazy. And the, what I just read says we're to be content if all we have is food and clothing. Well, there's a whole lot of the world that wishes they had food and clothing today. You know, it, it, it's, it's kind of rough out there. And the whole point of this is it's, it's the desires. The issue is with the desire to be rich. You know, God's not against money. Let's face it, you need money to to fund his his programs, His his, you know, all the work that we get to do on behalf of the Lord takes resources. And so if we're going to send out missionaries, if we're going to feed people, if we're going to try to meet needs, it takes money. The cool thing is a lot of the really wealthy people throughout history have been Christians, and they're very generous, and they do all kinds of really neat things with their money. So so God's not, not putting down money. It's just the desire to be rich for selfish gain. And it's not about the stuff itself. He also, as I read, says that bad desires lead to temptations. And that just goes down a whole nother circle. Jesus himself said in Luke 12, 15, that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his own possessions. And so I started thinking about that. And I think that contentment is just like joy and faith. Joy, faith, and contentment are not feelings. Sometimes you want to make them feelings. Feelings are messy. <laughs> they're fickle. Given the same exact thing one day, you might be happy. And given the exact same thing the next day, you might not be. But joy, faith, and contentment are not feelings at all. Um, they're actions. They're a surrender. They're giving up of my selfish desires for the good of the world and the good of God. It's a way of living. It's a way of thinking. It's a trusting in God back to our, our foundation. So I started looking at other scriptures. And like I said, we're going to do several scriptures here tonight. Um, my next scripture is one that, well, if that's what I believe, then what words can I use that will make it true? Can I, can I find that in the Bible? Well, the answer is yes in lots of places. But what I'm choosing tonight is Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. It states, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, if I believe that and trust in Jesus not to leave me or forsake me, then that puts me a long way already down the road that I can trust God to provide and be what I need in my life. The antidote to love, then, of money is contentment, which comes from trusting in God's promised provisions. Living in God's grace is another thing that I was thinking about, and that'll be my next thought or scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10. I wrote them all down, so that's why I keep looking at this, because it keeps me from fumbling through the Bible. I thought I'd do it to save a little time. And he said to me, quote, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, unquote. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Obviously, most of those things none of us would want on ourselves, but that's how content in the grace of God um, Paul was. In another version, they kind of turned it around, and it reads in a somewhat easier way. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I went to the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament is full of wisdom as well, obviously. There's lots of things going on in the Old Testament. And I went to Habakkuk, uh, verse Sorry, chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. And in my Bible, it calls this the hymn of faith. It's written kind of like a song. It's got a nice verse rhyme to it. And here's what it says. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the, field, from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high heel- hills. Not high heels. Now, back <laughs> Peace and joy weren't dependent on his circumstances. He didn't mind if he had nothing. If there's no olive trees and no food he realized that no matter what happened or what God chose to provide or not provide, Habakkuk could still rejoice for his hope and his faith and joy were in God alone. It wasn't in what he had, what he didn't have in his circumstances. I want to move back to the New Testament and read out of Philippians. Uh, this is a much-read uh, scripture. It's Philippians 4, verses 11 to 14. Philippians 4, 11 to 14, and some people call this the learned virtue. And it's it's Paul getting ready to address the Philippians, and sometimes we forget that Paul had a lot of trials. He had a lot of things going on. Um, and so he's talking about his contentment. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content." I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to be and to suffer need. So he was talking about being content in all circumstances or in all situations. But when you move on to verse 13, and this poor verse gets used in all kinds of funny ways. We're pretty good as humans of taking any 10 words out of the Bible and spinning them. But he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's a pretty cool scripture, but remember what he's talking about. We can learn to be content. And if I have to learn to be content, that means I have a good opportunity to not be content and to trust in God. If, it, if he wasn't going to have to go through trials, then what would he need the strength of the Lord for in the first place? See, that's what that scripture is talking about. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, because there will be trials. Okay? it isn't because that makes me a great athlete or anything. No, no, it's all about in a trial, I can be strengthened in order to do all the things that God and Christ has for me to do. And like so many times, just like the the woman caught in adultery, we'd like to forget the last verse of this. Well, verse 14 says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. See how that kind of spins it all the way back? If I I need Christ to strengthen me because Paul was clearly in affliction and he was thanking these Philippians for providing in the midst of all that. So, again, please, as we read the Bible, keep things in context. Don't pull things out just to make it work for your way. Realize what we're talking about here and that it's a great scripture. Christ will be there when we need him. But we won't need him because there will be trials and afflictions. You know, this whole concept works. If we truly are living a life that God can and choose to bless, if we're obedient to him and his goals and and that our goals will line up and we're trying to work to serve other people. Again, if it's all about us, then it probably is going to fall flat. God's not all that interested in in my personal uh, deals. Look what he had Paul go through. He loves me and he'll be always be there for me. But whether I have a new Chevy or not isn't what is keeping him up at night. If you go back to the Psalms, I know I could go to the Psalms. Psalms have so many good words of wisdom. There's got to be something in there. And there's, of course, there's lots of it in the Psalms. But I'm choosing Psalm 37, verse three to four. And the point of this is we're talking about doing good or doing things God's way. I like the music that we heard here again uh, at the worship time. It says, "Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord." And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, again, another scripture that likes to get twisted around. Um, He's talking to his own people. (laughs) If you're already hooked to God as an Israelite, then your desires are his desires and vice versa. Again, he's not interested in my new Chevy. Uh, The desires of your heart are to be things that are serving other people, God's people, serving him in particular. It's all about desiring the right things. As we draw closer to the Lord and our desires line up with him, we become more and more content because we're not trying to chase what the world chases. Nehemiah 8.10 is another good reminder. Nehemiah 8.10. There's lots of cool music out there. And there's a song we used to sing um, about rejoicing in the Lord always. And today we get to rejoice because every day is holy to God. Nehemiah 8.10 reads, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. In other words, share. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So even if we, as you read more context around this scripture, even if you make a mistake um, and you wander from the Lord, he's always there waiting for us to repent and come back. And when we do that, we get to celebrate, and he gets to celebrate. It's all about, you know, sharing the good. Every day is holy to the Lord. When we get up in the morning, we should be thankful we have another holy day to serve the Lord in some way, to be content and be thankful for all that we have, all that we have as far as healing and our relationships and all those things. And as we seek to follow him, He will be our strength. That's where it has to come from. I have no strength in myself, especially if we keep the word of God fresh in our hearts each day. I'll be honest. You've known me for a long, long time. There are days that I don't get up and read my Bible first, and those aren't my best days. <laughs> so if we can do that and we give that day to the Lord, um, it's a good thing. Uh, it helps us remember that we have been purchased with with an incredible price, the precious blood of, of Jesus. If this won't help keep us content, then I don't know what can. Our grace, his grace, is so sufficient for us. Getting to the last of the scriptures here. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 6 is about what are we to seek then? If our desires need to get in line, well, we need to seek God's righteousness. So Matthew 5, 6 reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, again, if we keep our focus on God and what he wants, and he's the ultimate source of any righteousness, we have none on our own, we need then to try to long for his righteous character because that will be evident in our lives if we seek to do that. It's all about changing our focus, changing our mindset. Um, we should be satisfied, I wrote, just to have the privilege of being in a relationship with a holy God. He didn't have to make it that way. But we actually have that privilege. We can We can pray. We can commune with a holy God and know that he's there. It, it's an incredible privilege. John... 4, verses 13 to 14, is really cool as well. <clears throat> John four thirteen to 14. Now we're getting into the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So only Jesus can provide that contentment, that Holy Spirit that comes and fills us, that emptiness in our hearts, fills the ache, calms the pain. It's an amazing promise about Jesus' wonderful gifts that he's speaking to here to the woman at the well. We know his blessings and his refreshment and how great that feels. But the cool thing is this stuff is everlasting. It comes every day if we seek it. If we choose to go and ask for his help, he's there. The living water, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, man, what more could we want? It kind of makes all the rest of it seem kind of trivial. If we have God living inside of us, you know, it, it casts us satisfy like nothing else. So <clears throat> that's the end of my scriptures. So then I started writing some ponderings, <laughs> ponderings by Scott, <laughs> I, I was thinking about, you know, I don't want to talk about our stuff. You know, um, that's not not what I'm concerned with, folks. I really, I'm really not, because if we've chosen to to let the marketers run our lives, and we always got to have the newest and greatest and all that, and we choose to play in that rat race, well, there's not much I can do for you standing up here. <laughs> You've made a choice. You'll be uncontent most of the time, because no matter how much you chase stuff, you'll never be current. We've all fallen in, into that trap. Man, when I was in college, I worked three jobs. I saved and saved and saved because back then, roll the clock back, 45 years. We had turntables to play our albums on and you could buy this linear tracking turntable that really worked really well and you could program it. That was pretty big stuff for 1983 or 4. And it would actually play the songs in the order that you chose. So I saved all these years and I bought that silly thing. And the next month, They had one that would play both sides. (laughs) So I'd save for years to be current and have the coolest and greatest, and now it's current for about a month. So, But that's what it does when you start chasing stuff. You'll have the latest fashion only until it goes out of style, and then what good is it, right? So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that. If you're not satisfied with what you have today, well, then what? who really believes that What if I get something new or different, it's going to make me satisfied then? It's going to be temporary. We've already chosen that we can't take something that we already have and be happy with it. Here's what I'm most concerned about, and I want to spend the rest of our time talking about it, basically. When I was thinking about contentment and our lack thereof, what if the fundamental problem is that all those scriptures that I've just read, we don't believe, that we actually don't trust in God. We don't live to serve him. We've made a choice that he's just something we do when we want. He's not the center of our lives. Well, I'd like to, I don't know how else to say it. That has to leave, lead to a state of uncontentment. Because if we don't follow him and that's not where our hope is and our, our, our faith, like all the scriptures that we read just talked about, then then we're kind of in trouble. Because we have nothing to base anything on anymore. Um, if we live this kind of a life where we don't trust on the, in the Lord and God as our source, then we, we get sideways in a hurry. It can have far-reaching impacts on our lives. It can mess up our families. How many families do you know in your lives that have been messed up because someone in the family was not content? It can be a husband and a wife. That can even lead to divorce. It can be a father to a son or a child, those kind of relationships. It can just be people in your family that because you've chosen not to see the world at the same way, that it impacts our families. And I wrote, unlike the irrelevancy of what your my vehicle is or, or what color my handbag is or, or whatever all that kind of stuff is, when we lose our trust in God, that's a big deal. That's not irrelevant. That totally makes life a mess. Now, we can be uncontent in lots of ways. We can be uncontent in our jobs. How many people go to work every day? I know a lot of you are retired. I'm happy for you. One of these days, I'm going to join you. But uh, the point is, while we were working, while we are working, it's hard to go through a day where you don't run into someone who's not content with where they're working. They have all the answers. If they were the boss, they'd fix it. You know, to all of those who aren't bosses, unless you're called to do that, don't be one. Because <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be a boss. Nobody needs a boss. A boss is someone who's seeking their own power and to boss people around. Nobody needs that in any situation ever. Maybe on a battlefield. The only, only place. To be a leader means you're trying to facilitate everyone else being successful. See how that turns it all around? If I'm a leader, it's not about me, it's about them. As a boss, it's all about me. I want the power. I want to go fix it. Well, that's broken. And I then have to pray for all the people you're bossing, because they're all going to be uncontent, because you're making their lives a mess. So, so while we're working, we've been given these wonderful opportunities to have a job, to make income, to feed our families, to have stuff. So, so be thankful for that job. If you want to be a leader, great. Do the right things and lead well. God will bless that. But Our jobs can be a source of uncontentment and was always wanting a different job. How about, again, our relationships? When we have a chance to build a relationship or tear one down. You heard Pastor Larry talking a lot on Sunday. How many times do we not say those good words because we're happy, we can share joy, and when we're not, Then, for some reason, we want to make everybody else unhappy too. That seems kind of weird, but that seems to be how our human nature is. Somehow, if I can make somebody else unhappy, (laughs) somebody else is unhappy, uh, then, uh, that makes me somehow happier. It's all, it's all messed up. Okay? And when we're in those states, by definition, we have no peace. We've lost it. Um, you know, there are studies, people stay up at night, Because they're so uncontent with things, and they're filled with anxiety, and and they don't get good sleep. Well, as we know more and more and more in the health world, which maybe we've said all along, when we don't get good sleep, man, this can affect our overall health. It can get us in all kinds of other problems, all because we're not content, because we're we're all stressed out about things that have nothing to do with anything, generally speaking. Um, If we trust it in God, he's got it. Just relax. Praise Him, thank Him. You. you know, when we're content, it allows us to jo- enjoy everything we already have: our stuff, our relationships, our family, our jobs. Um, again, I'm back to faith. God can feed our faith. He can feed our joy if we trust in Him. He can feed our contentment, which helps keeps us calm. I go back to just a few weeks ago when we I was the calm dude and poor Joe was the stressed out one. Um, but who doesn't want to be around the calm one? All right? But we all have people that we know that just live to spool us up. They know the buttons to push. They're out there just trying to make us not be happy or content. And we have a tendency then when we're in that mode, which way do we want to spread to others? Do we want to spread contentment and calm and peace or craziness, and have within minutes the whole crowd all spooled up. I know it's the way I want to do it. <clears throat> so the other thing I was thinking about is when you start talking about contentment in all areas of your life and trusting God that his way of having things as they are being okay because he's in control I sometimes worry that when we're not content, it can bleed over into things like unforgiveness, like our unacceptance of grace. We're part of a book study that's studying grace, and all these things just kind of keep, like I said earlier, peace and grace and contentment. They're all dancing on the same head of a pin. They're all dancing on our choice and where our heart is where our focus is, Um, when we choose to somehow not forgive or not offer people grace, and, here again, if, you, if you're if you not in a life group, I get that. That's cool. But if you ever got a chance to read this book, it will just surprise you what some people will do to their, their own loved ones, um, that they won't forgive them. They won't offer them grace. They're, they're, they, they choose to be not kind. And I just, I don't know. Gang, I've struggled for most of my life. I had the privilege of coming to the Lord at eight years old. And I never understand. I am still amazed that I was given grace by a holy God, that I was forgiven. As an eight-year-old, I knew I was a sinner, that I thought the wrong things, I did the wrong things, I said the wrong things. Am I perfect now? (laughs) No. (laughs) But who in the world am I to not forgive someone else? Or not provide grace to someone else. There's gotta be something inside me that's not content. If I trust God and someone does me wrong, well, it's okay. God's got it under control. I have no need to retaliate or be weird. You know, um, I gotta give them grace. I gotta give them forgiveness. It can wreck your life and wreck lots of other lives in the process. So I just, I'm always thinking, how can I possibly be that way? When I choose to not trust God and be content with him and somehow think I can do better, that's really what it's saying. If I don't trust God, it's saying I can do better than him. I can control this situation. I can control that person. I can do whatever it is I'm not content about. And how many have ever won that debate, that their running the world has ever turned out well, <laughs> that they haven't had to go back and fix a bunch of stuff? And I got thinking of one other, other spin on this. And I was just talking with the Pastor about it a few weeks ago. He mentioned to me that people are in fear. And that seems so foreign to me. I don't think that way. Um, and so I started pondering and praying about that. And I guess, I guess if I don't trust in God, maybe that's the deal then I am afraid, because if I don't trust him to take care of it, uh-oh, now it's back on me, and I've got to fix it. I've got to be the one that, that does everything. I've got to be the one that controls the situation. And if that's how you live your life, I can see why you're afraid, <laughs> because it's not a good place to be. We control very little, and the more you think you control, God sits back and grins and says, I'll show you, don't control any of it. And so so fear can really can really mess up your life. Be content. Be calm, uh, trust in God. If we allow fear to rule our minds, think what it blocks out. It can block out all kinds of good things, like opportunities to do his work because we're afraid to go out and do something for the for the Lord. It can block opportunities in relationships. Well, you know, if I go over and I talk to Steve, then that might not go well, so I'm not going to go talk to him. Well, that could have been the best conversation God had planned for me all week. But see how we can let fear stop us from doing it? In fact, when we let fear run our relationships, it almost always destroys them because fear creates a situation where someone's got to be in control other than God. Well, when someone's in control of your relationship other than God, then someone's got to lose because if I'm in control, you can't be and vice versa, and that creates a mess. And I believe that if we live in fear, It stops us from enjoying everything we have today. All the provisions, all the friends, the family we have. Boy, if my kids would just do this or my wife would just do that or fill in the blank, whatever your hang-up is. God wants to send blessings our way, but we've got to be aware of it. We've got to be willing to accept them and receive them. And if we don't, because we're too busy not trusting in him, we won't even see the good in all of it. But I believe with prayer and time in the word, we can get rid of that fear and get back on track and replace it with faith. 2 Timothy 1.7 reads, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I wrote down, ah, contentment, God's wonderful gift of, of contentment. So fixing our eyes on Jesus will help us stop trying to fix everything else ourselves. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. I'm about done. I was still struggling with what my daughter had asked me. And because in between this time, we have what's going on in Israel happen. See, so that hadn't happened yet. All right. This is three weeks before or more, before that even started. And so I was making the bed the other day and I was just wondering about contentment and what's wrong with these people and why and why. And, and God just smacked me up alongside the forehead. It was just it was just weird. I was just praying out loud and all of a sudden these words came out of my, my head. That you know, this contentment thing only makes sense if you have our faith, our God. If you don't know our God, if you don't have if you're another religion or have a whole different world view, well they live a whole different life. They don't want to be content. They they don't even value life. Okay? It, They have no problem killing you. For for killing you, that's gain for a whole sect of our world. And it just, it was so obvious that if the rest of the world who doesn't know Jesus, it's hard to expect them to be content because they they know nothing about it. Their whole world revolves around them or some false nonsense they've been taught that they've got to go kill, take over, do whatever they can. And when you don't value life, what else is there? Back to our foundation scripture. We're not taking anything out of this world, but if we make any impacts on relationships, we can help lives. So it just, it just really, really kind of hit me. I, I felt really kind of silly that I, I didn't grasp that, that it's just the way certain people, because they don't have a God that they can trust, they have to be kind of radical. They have to do things that destroy relationships, And, of course, they destroy the relationship with the Holy God themselves. So I want to encourage us to keep a strong foundation of faith. And faith, as I see it, is seeing things the way God says they are instead of how, how our eyes may see them and maintaining a strong foundation of joy. And I wrote that down as joy is the resolute assurance that God knows and cares about the details of our lives. That's who our God is. He gives us that joy. um, So I wrote, faith, joy, and contentment are some of the key fruits or gifts of a life that is learning who God is and allowing his character to define our reality. I pray that we stay in his word and can be active in prayer so that we can draw near to our heavenly father to know his truth and his love and accept his wonderful gift of contentment